Lord, there's no one like you. And sometimes we just need to be reminded, Lord, that it's not stuff that'll make us happy. It's not a relationship. It's not a job. It's not a health. It's not a circumstance, Lord. It's, it's you. You are who brings joy. You are joy. And so, Lord, would you just remind us of this? That in the midst of our dark moment, in the midst of the dark night of the soul, in the moment of despair and difficulty, would you remind us that it's your presence? With the broken marriage, Lord, remind us that you can endure us even in a broken marriage. You can endure us even in a failed health. You can endure us even in disappointing circumstances because it's your presence. Lord, would you just remind us if we've forgotten? And for those who have remembered, Lord, would you just reinforce it? Would you encourage us to know that it's all about you? Our joy is found in you. It's always found in you. So give us wisdom, O oh God, even now. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. 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 So grateful that you're here. Welcome to the Recovery House of Worship. We're in a brand new series called The Waiting Room. The waiting room is the place where life just changed and what you hope for hasn't happened yet. You understand what I'm saying, right? You're driving to your job and your car gets hit by another car and everything changes. Your back is not the same, your sight is not the same, your body's not the same. And you have this hope of getting your body back to full uh, health but you're in the waiting room, and it hasn't come yet. It's, it's when the spouse comes up to you, and you say, and that spouse says, you know, I don't think we can go forward any longer. And your whole world changes. And so you've lost that spouse, and you, you have a hope for a future, but that's not realized. You're in the waiting room. Maybe you're single and it dawns on you, oh man, I think this is, is going to be my story. I think that this is what's going to be. You're in the waiting room. The waiting room is where everyone, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, whether you love Jesus or you hate Jesus or anything in between, Listen to me, the waiting room is where everybody is going to find themselves at one time or another. An interesting thing, though, that happens with Christians in waiting, room, waiting rooms is that they have a question that they ask. They have a, a thought that they process. <coughs> they say, isn't God supposed to give me a pleasant an easy life? Isn't that like God's job? So that when you and I suffer, this thought, it's, listen, it's why so many people, after having gone through hardship, 
leave the faith. Because underlying that idea is this thought. But God's job is to give me money, health, a good marriage. See, that's God's job. And when God disappoints, our desire is to leave him. Otherwise, leaving the faith when you go through suffering makes no sense. Why would you leave the only one who could make sense of it all? But people do it all the time. I think, I think that's the thing that Christians struggle with the most. It's the thing that we really battle with. If I'm a Christian, my marriage should be perfect. If I'm a Christian, my finances should be fine. If I'm a Christian, my health should be better than it is. If I'm a Christian, I shouldn't be struggling with this sexual identity. If I'm a Christian, I shouldn't be wrestling with this addiction. If I'm a Christian, everything should be pleasant. Everything should be smooth. Now, how many Christians in this room have found that to not be true? Anybody? Yeah, just a few of us, right? And, and here's the thing. Because being in Christ doesn't mean you get what you want all the time. There are some times that you suffer. And sometimes, and listen, some of you don't even have a, a compartment in your brain for this next idea. Sometimes it's not Satan, but God who puts you in that suffering place. God who puts you in the waiting room. By the way, we're going to talk about that next week. You do not want to miss next week. In fact, tell your neighbor, you don't want to miss next week. All right. Now, because all of us are going to find ourselves in this waiting room, suffering, going through difficulties, experiencing great heartache, and the question is, what do you do when there's nothing left to do? What do you do when there's nothing you can do? That's the question that we're going to be looking at for five weeks, starting last week. What do you do when there's nothing left to do? Last week, we discovered there's one thing that you do, is that you don't forget he remembers, so I'll wait on him. That's what we remembered last week. That's what we were taught last week. That's what the scriptures spoke to us. Don't forget, wait, Christ is good. He died on the cross for my sin, and he's with me and for me. will never leave me nor forsake me. Don't forget, God remembers. Oh, wait, God has chosen to be with me in this waiting room. He's going to be here with me in this waiting room. Don't forget, God remembers, so I'll wait on him. And remember what we said about wait? We said that it's not laziness. It's not throwing up our hands and saying, I'm not going to do anything. We said wait is patiently pursuing. Patiently pursuing. Guys, have you ever wanted a girl who didn't want you? What'd you do? You patiently pursued. Right, now you got the idea. That's what it means. That's what it means to wait on the Lord. We patiently pursue. We say, God, I need more of your strength. I need more of your encouragement. I need more of your ability. But this week we're going to look what happens when we find ourselves and there's no quick fix, there's no getting out of the waiting room, there's no relieving of the tension. What do we do? How do we endure it? You see, one of the things that makes us suffer in this waiting room is that our prayers are... <laughs> 
how can I get out of this? That's our prayers. God, how can I get out of this? How can I get out of this? Listen to me. Our prayers in the waiting room need to change from how can I get out of this to what can I get out of this? Do you see the difference? Not how can I get out of this, but what can I get out of this? What is God teaching me? What is God trying to awaken me to? What is God doing in my soul to draw me closer and help me to rely on Christ all the more? It's a good question. What do we do when there's nothing left to do? Now, the good news is that God knows that every one of you are going to go through a waiting room experience. Every one of us. Now, listen to me. Your suffering has probably been greater than my suffering, but I've known a little suffering in my life. I've struggled with depression. I've been homeless multiple times. I'm talking about as a pastor. I've been homeless multiple times. I've struggled with temptations and desires that are not of God that I can't righteously satisfy. I've dealt with uh, all sorts of condemning thoughts that are locked within my brain. So I've, I've known some suffering. I've had a parent who uh, is absent, and I've had a parent who is sick and we thought was going to die multiple times. I've, I've known a little suffering, not like yours. I'm just saying, I've known a little suffering in my life. And in those moments, I need to know that I'm not the only one. In moments like that, I need to know that I'm not just, this is not just God punishing me for some distant thing that happened 14 years ago. And now it's like, right? So like we cheated on a test at eighth grade and all of a sudden why our car broke down at 32 is because of the cheating on the test. Do you think that way? Like some of us have that kind of mentality that God punishes us without any connection to the reality. We think of God like that, but God is not like that. But what do we do? What do we do? What do we do when there's nothing you can do? What do we do when we find ourselves in the waiting room? Almost, not almost, in every book of the Bible, the point that we're going we're gonna to look at can be made in every book of the Bible. And here's the big idea. This, by the way, is where this entire message is going. If you were ever going to write anything down, it's going to be the next sentence that I say. It's this. I can't but he can through me. I can't, he can through me. Listen to me. The secret, one of the, now last week what we learned, you'll remember, is don't forget God remembers, so I'll wait on him. That's, that's an important lesson for us to know in the waiting room. This week, what we need to download into our minds and get into our hearts is, I can't, he can, through me. Now, we're going to see this illustrated in the life of a man by the name of Paul. Paul was an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, he, always, he wasn't always in Christ. In fact, he spent the first part of his life persecuting, murdering, throwing in jail Christians. How'd you like that on your resume, right? You go for a pastoral position. Hey, what did you do before you were a pastor? I murdered Christians. Yeah, you ain't going to be a pastor at this church. See, 
But that's what he did. Listen to me, listen to me. That's what he did, and then God radically transformed his life. What was interesting, though, is that Paul's sufferings didn't begin until he came to Christ. Isn't that interesting? Every one of us have thought at one time or another, oh, if I come to Christ, that will fix my marriage. If I come to Christ, that will fix my, uh, my temptation. If I come to Christ, that will address my attractions. If I come to Christ, that'll fix my finances. That'll help my health. That'll solve the problem. All of Paul's problems began when he came to Christ. Okay, now we're going to pray for you to receive Christ now. Come on. No, I'm kidding. Uh, yeah, nobody's going to receive Christ after that, right? Everybody's like, no, what are you talking about? Jesus solves everything. Everything gets better. No, no, no. You have to go to the television for that. When you're in the real world, and when you suffer like the people who do in your seat, I'm not talking about your neighbors. I'm talking about your suffering and your difficulty. When you go through that, you know, oh, no. We need something. We need a theology bigger than uh, I'm going to be better, and this is going to get, you know, we're going to get over this. In fact, Christians are famous for denying their suffering. They say things, they say things like this. You go, how are you doing? And they say things like, blessed and highly favored, right? <laughs> now, here's the deal. Now, if you're not, or if you haven't been in the Christian culture for a long time, that, that wasn't funny to you. But everybody who's been in the Christian culture for a long time, they know, oh yeah, oh yeah, blessed and highly favored. How are you doing? I'm the head, not the, yeah, I'm, you know. And so, but here's the thing. Now, if, if what they meant was, because the fact is, that's true. The fact is, no matter what circumstances we're going through, no matter how difficult my marriage is, no matter how my health has rebelled against me, I am blessed. God has saved me. I have gone from death to life. I have gone from hell to heaven. I have gone to temporary living to eternal dwelling. I am blessed, highly favored. Are you kidding me? I'm in the family of God. I'm his kid. I'm like a spoiled brat. He promised to be with me and uh, never forsake me. I am blessed and highly favored. But if we ever use that term, to deny our suffering, we've missed the point. Because it's in our suffering where Christ is made even more of a blessing. And his favor is even more of a delight. But if we use phrases to ignore the suffering that you and I are going through, we won't get to the point where Christ is everything. Paul went through that moment now, I don't know about you, but it's hard for me to hear about people's sufferings from people who haven't suffered like I suffered. Do you understand what I'm saying? Right? I get cancer. If I get cancer, don't come up to me and say, don't worry, Pastor, it'll be all right. I will punch you in the face. Okay? <laughs> That's what'll happen, right? No, don't clap for that. Some of y'all are clapping for that. Welcome to the Recovery House of Worship. It's a joke. I'm not going to punch you in the face. I'm going to hug you and smile and walk away. That's all I'm going to do. No, listen, I'm not going to punch you in the face, but what I am, it's, it's hurtful, it's offensive. Isn't it true? When, when you struggle with something and someone else doesn't struggle and they don't understand, listen, however, however, if, so, so if someone comes up to me and says, don't worry, Edwin, it'll get better, 
However, if you too suffer with cancer, and you've had both your legs amputated, and you wear a wig because your hair, hair has fallen out because of the treatment that you've been given, and you roll up your wheelchair next to me, and you say, in a raspy voice, because you have no strength, don't worry, Edwin. It'll get better. Well, that has a different power, doesn't it? That comes from another place. Today, we're going to talk about being in the waiting room, having to suffer with, by the way, no solution in sight. We're going to hear it from a person who's suffering more than you. I don't care what your suffering is right now. This guy was suffering more than you. His suffering was not for doing wrong, not for living unwisely, but for living for Christ. His suffering was in painful circumstances. He was in jail. Now, if you're ever in Sing Sing, I hope you never have to go. Or if you're ever in Rikers Island, I hope you never have to get there. Although I know some of us, that might be in our future. I hope it's not, though. I hope that Christ radically changes your life today. But if you've ever gone, at least they pay for your food. Right? At least, at least there are conditions that are suitable to like living. In other, in not, I mean, it's terrible. Like, don't, don't hear me say that prison is horrible. Prison is horrible. Don't hear me say that prison is any good. But at least, like, you know, it's, you know, there's heat when it's freezing out. There's food. There's lodging. You don't have to pay for any of these things. There's education if you want to avail yourself to it. There's medical coverage if you want to do your teeth over again or something like that. If you want to get your GED, there's that. You know, you have options. In Paul's day, listen to me, in Paul's day, they made him pay for the court. The court time, he had to pay for. He's in jail for sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he has to pay for the court dates. There's no lawyer that's being given to him. He has to defend himself. Listen, the food, if he doesn't provide the food, he dies. There's no, there's no three, cot, uh, th three hots and a cot. There's none of that. He is suffering, and it's all happening because he was witnessing for Christ. It's this guy who comes up to us to teach us how to suffer. By the way, Paul will be transferred from jail to jail, handcuff to handcuff until the day they walk him out in the wilderness sometime, get a sharp or dull axe, and remove his head from his body. He will never see outside of a prison. So the question is, how do we suffer well? Because that's what Christians do best. Christian, listen. We've got, let me tell you something. In the world, you could see better, listen, if you want to compare me to a, uh, uh, a Muslim imam, I bet that guy's a better parent than I am. If you want to compare me to a Buddhist priest, I bet that guy's a better husband or parent than I am. If you want to, listen, but here's the thing that Christians do better than anyone else. Suffer and die. We do this better than anyone because of our hope that is found in Christ. Now, some of y'all don't even have a compartment in your mind for that. Some of y'all just blow your mind. It's like you can't even hear anything else. 
But the fact is, is that when we're in Christ, being in Christ doesn't mean following principles, doesn't mean following a set of rules. Being in Christ means being connected to the one who is life. And so when you and I suffer, as we will surely do, we can suffer in life, in Christ, abiding in him. Paul, as he writes his letter, he writes it to the Philippian people. He's writing it to these people to thank them for a care package. He doesn't ever get around to thanking them, though, interestingly enough. But he thanks this letter, and in this letter, while he's in prison, getting ready to be, go, go to, before the court, and just a little while before he gets his head chopped off, the most frequent, frequent word that he uses is rejoice. How do you like that? This guy is overflowing with joy. Why? Because joy doesn't come from our circumstances. Joy comes from Christ. And he knew that. And he's going to teach us that. Now, as we read this portion of the letter, it is our tradition to stand at the reading of God's word because it is in him and it is his word that gives direction and strengthens. So we're going to read it together on the count of three, Nice and loud. Everybody with me? One, two, three. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have received your, your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. May God bless the reading of his word. Have a seat. So Paul is writing this prison letter, sharing with them his sufferings, letting them know, and in the middle of this prison letter, towards the end, not the middle really, towards the end, he says this, I rejoiced. <laughs> now, all right, quick question for, all, for those of us who have been in jail. Um, how many of your prison letters started with, I rejoice? Any? Any hands? No? Yeah, no, no, yeah. Right. I don't care who, what guy you pay the three cigarettes so that he could write your letter, right? It doesn't start with rejoice. I rejoiced. How can Paul say this? Because his joy, listen to me, he's falsely accused. He's in jail for trumped up reasons. All he was doing was sharing the gospel of Christ. It's unfair. It's unjust. It's cruel. It's difficult. At the night, it's freezing cold. And in the day, it's blazingly hot. He suffers. And yet he says, I rejoice. Because it's not about our circumstances. Listen to why. I rejoiced in the Lord. You see, when... Every, when you put your joy in anything else in life, it can be taken from you. Your health, your lover, your finances, your job, your hobbies, your kids. 
When you put your joy in anything in life other than Christ, it can be taken from you. But when you put your heart, when you put your joy in Christ, doesn't matter how your marriage is doing, you could have joy. Doesn't matter how your job is going, you could have joy. Doesn't matter how many times you relapsed. You could have joy. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, abundantly. In fact, Paul here, he's trying to get, you know how like if you're trying to get your point across, you use like a $5 word and people are like, whoa, you really want to get us our attention. Paul uses a $5 word here. It's only used one time in the whole New Testament. It's only used one time. He uses a $5 word because he's trying to get you to focus in on something. He's saying something. He says, I mega abundantly in Christ have found joy. That now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. The Philippian church, they hadn't had this opportunity to give them, a, they sent them a care package, right? So he got slippers, you know, some toothpaste, some cigarettes. And so he got his care package, right? Isn't that what your care package had, right? No? All right, bad joke. Uh, he got his care package, and he writes this letter, and he says to them, this is wonderful in Christ. When I, ha when I didn't have this, I had joy. When I had this, I had joy. Not that I am speaking of being in need. Think about this. He's in jail. Not that I'm speaking for being in need. For I have learned. Somebody say learned. learned. He didn't discover. He learned. It was a process. It took time. You have to mature in Christ. I learned. I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Now that's a mouthful. That's a mouthful. Because some of us can't be content in a good situation. But he's learned in every situation to be content. To have joy. Don't you want that? Everybody I talk to, whenever I ask them, what do you want? All I want is to be happy. All I want is to be happy. Paul is saying the very same thing. To be content is to be happy. I want to be content. Paul says, I found in whatever situation I am to be content, because he learned this principle. Listen, I can't. I can't endure this jail cell. I can't endure the hunger. I can't endure the scorching heat. And I can't endure the freezing cold. I can't endure the allegations that are thrown at me. I can't endure. But he can through me. Jesus can do it through me. In whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. And I know how to abound. In every, any and every circumstance, I have learned, tell your neighbor, learned. learned. Yes, I have learned. Because why? It's a process, not a discovery. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Now, here's what I need you to know. You need God's grace, not only to suffer well, but to do really well. Listen to me. Paul learned the secret to be content in riches 
and in poverty, in pleasure and in pain. This is a secret we all have to learn. Because many of us, probably none of us, will ever reach all of our life's dreams and goals. Like, you know, you and I have life streams, like some of us wanted to be rock stars. Probably not a whole lot of us are going to be a rock star in this place, right? Some of us wanted to be um, uh, a CEO of a Fortune 500 company. May, may not happen. Probably not, right? Like this is, you know, it's a very few people. But listen to me. Have you ever wondered why the people who have gotten everything they wanted wind up on the front page for committing suicide? Think about this. Here's an actor. He has all the fame, all the accolades, all the finances. He has, he's doing what he loves. And you know why? He hasn't learned the secret of how to abound. He hasn't learned the secret of how to have plenty. Listen, some of us don't know how to act when we're blessed. It's like we take the blessing and we go, wow, God, that was really all I wanted. Thanks for giving it to me. I'm out. It's amazing. Paul is saying that there's just not a secret to being content when you have nothing, but there's a secret to know when you've gotten everything. You have the clean time. You finally got the marriage. The car is in the garage, in the garage that you own. The shoes are nicer than they were before. No holes. The clothes, they're very nice. The fragrance is very nice. You've gotten everything you've wanted. You got the marriage you prayed about. You got the car that you wanted. You got all the things that you wanted. And you're depressed and miserable because you haven't learned the secret of contentment. How to content went abound. Paul says... The secret is found in having none of those as your goal. The million dollars is not my goal, and the zero dollars is not my goal. I'm neither made joyful by having riches, neither am I made joyful by denying myself with nothing. I am made joyful because I have found joy in Christ. I have learned. I can't. He can. Through me. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And then he says one of the misquoted verses in all the Bible. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. My son uh, graduated from a Christian high school years ago. And, you know, the kids put their favorite verse and almost all of them. It was as if someone went around saying, yo, I don't know what my verse should be. You just, if it, Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It was like as if the kids had like, you know, like they had like the kids who didn't know what their, um, like their favorite verse was. It was like all of them got together and go, this is the one that'll work, right? That, that and John 3.16 were the, three, the two verses, right? Some kids were into football, so they put down John 3.16. But here's what they said. I said, I can do all things and all things through him who strengthens me. And here's what they meant. What they meant is, is um, like if they play a game of basketball and the team is really, really good. They said, well, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. 
That's not at all what this is talking about. Uh, like when you're going for a job that you really want, or when you're trying to reach a financial goal. I can do all things through Christ. No, 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 no. Listen to what Paul is saying. See, the problem is, is that we don't read the Bible. We steal from the Bible. What we do is we take a verse and we rob it from its context. And then we make it say anything that we want it to say. Paul is saying here, I can do. I love the way the NIV, we're reading it from the ESV now, but the NIV says, I can do all this. What? Have a lot or have a little. Be rich or be poor. I can do all of the stuff that I just told you about. I can do all this. I can do all these things. I can, in essence, what he's saying is, I can suffer well. Because Christ will strengthen me in the waiting room. I can do it. You're drinking alcohol, and it's part of you. If you stop drinking, you go through withdrawals and shakes. I can do all this. I can shake well for Christ. Because I can't. I can't do it. But Christ can. He could detox me. And he can do that through me. You have a, a marriage. Because remember, we're talking about, not, listen, I'm not telling you about how to get out of the waiting room. There are 50 different other sermons, 5 million different other sermons. You can hear about how to get to the other side. I'm not talking to you about how to get to the other side. I'm talking to you about how to wait well. I'm talking to you about when it's a year, two years, 10 years, 20 years. How do you suffer well? I'm talking about the marriage is broken. It's not turning around anytime soon. And you start to shake because when you turn the knob, you don't know who you're going to find on the other side of the door. Are you going to find nice wife or angry wife? Are you going to find pleasant husband or scary husband? How do you suffer in a marriage like that? You can't. It'll kill you. You try and you try and you try and you can't. That's the point. I can't. But he can. Through me. You have these temptations that are coming at you. And the temptation is so great. You're bought into the lie. You said the only way to get rid of a temptation is to give into it. And you go, I can't take it anymore. I got to. And, and Jesus reminds you, that's right, you can't. I'm glad you can stop trying now. I can, Jesus says. Because I can't. He can. Through me. You're experiencing so much stress. Your heart feels like it's going to explode. And the only other alternative you have, you do this thing that nobody knows about. It's your dirty little secret. If anybody lifts up your sleeve past your, past your uh, elbow, they'll see your secret. You cut yourself. If anybody lifts up your pants, you don't wear shorts even. You cut yourself. You go, 
I can't deal with this tension. I can't deal with this suffering. I can't deal with this anxiety. Nothing is changing. I, the only way I know how to get out of this stress is by cutting my... No, 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 no. I can suffer well. I don't have to cut myself. My salvation is not in cutting myself. My, my salvation is found in Christ who can through me. You find yourself where you're eating like crazy. And then you get your comb or your toothbrush or your finger and you throw it all up because you're trying to, cap you're trying to create this body. And you'll never have the body. I, I, remember, I remember there was this great commercial by this, I, I wish I could remember his name. I think it was, like a, it was I think it's the Manning brothers, like the older one. And, and he, said, he said this, he was like, he's supposed to be known for being an encouraging guy on the, you know, as a encouraging leader. You can do it, come on. He goes, hey, I know that a lot of you guys, is like a Super Bowl commercial, I know a lot of you guys um, have wanted to like, you know, work out, lose weight, get that six pack abs. And he said, he goes, forget it, it's not gonna happen, buy a bigger shirt. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Listen to me, listen to me. I'm not telling you how to have six pack abs in your marriage. I'm teaching you how to suffer through it. I'm not telling you how the, the, uh, the desire to the temptation is going to go away. I'm, telling, I'm teaching you how to endure it. I'm not telling you how to make the shakes go away. I'm telling you how to shake when they happen. I can't. Because this week, there's going to come a point in your marriage, with your body, with your health, in your circumstances, where you're going to say, I can't. Finally, finally, I can't, he can through me. Now, I'm going to teach you three ways that you can grow this truth in your life. I can't, he can through me. And then I'm going to talk to you about our church and how we've endured a, a waiting room experience. First thing that I want you to know is that if you're going to grow in this I can't, he can through me. First thing is that you're going to need to uncover the coveting. Uncover the coveting. Here's the first thing you're going to have to do. Uncover the coveting. What that means is that you're looking to something else to be your joy. You know why you're miserable? Because you don't have what you want. That's it. That's it. It's really that simple. Why am I depressed? Why am I miserable? Why am I suffering? Oh, I just don't have what I want. Think of any pain that you've ever gone through. Ah, it's, a guy breaks up with you. Why are you brokenhearted? Because I don't have what I want. I wanted him. You, you don't look at him a particular way because I don't have what I want. Your marriage isn't going well because I don't have what I want. Listen to me. You have to uncover your coveting. What is it that you want? What is it besides Jesus that will make you happy? Because that will be your undoing. Everything else can be taken from you. Only Jesus satisfy. Uncover the coveting. The second thing is that you got to preach the gospel to yourself. Listen, you already talk to yourself. Okay? Yeah, you thought that was a secret. No, we know. Okay? Since you already do, how's about, listen, I don't want you to talk to yourself. Why don't you start preaching to yourself? 
preach to yourself the good news of Christ. Because here's what happens. You and I, we mess up. Go, oh, I'm so stupid. I'm so ugly. I'm so dumb. I can't believe you did that. Oh, of course they're not going to invite you out. Who would ever want to be with you? You're never going to get married. You know, and you just kind of go through this horrible, listen to me, listen to me. If some of you talk to your friends the way you talk, the, the way you talk to yourself, you'd have no friends. You're brutal to yourself. I don't want you to talk to yourself. I want you to preach to yourself. I want you to preach to yourself the truth. My wife, she goes, I hate you, and uh, uh, I can't stand you, and all that other stuff. I go, wait. My joy is not found in my wife's approval of me. I'm going to serve and love you, not because you love me, but because Christ has loved me well. And out of the overflowing love that is in Christ, because I can't, I can't love you like that. I don't have that kind of love in me. But Christ does. I can't. He can through me. I don't know how we're going to endure this suffering with this finances. You got bills piling up. You're going to lose the house. Listen to me. Here's how to be homeless. I can't. He can through me. He'll help me to be. And I can give you, I can tell you experience. I have years of homeless experience. He can through me. I can't. I couldn't endure my homelessness. It was killing me every day. But he can, and he can do it through me. Preach the gospel to yourself. Say, my jo- listen, my security. They take your job, and uh, you, don't, you no longer have that paycheck. Wait, 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 wait. Jesus is my security. He's my provider. And Jesus provided through this job, or he'll provide through welfare, or he'll provide through the kindness of my friends and family, or he'll provide some other way. He's my provider. Preach the gospel. Stop talking to yourself. Preach to yourself. My security is found in Christ, not in this job. My joy is found in Christ, not in this marriage. My beauty is found in Christ, not in this body. Preach to yourself. Preach the gospel to yourself. Thirdly, learn intimacy with God. Learn intimacy. Practice intimacy. Learn intimacy. Isn't it true that when you're like head over heels in love, almost anything can happen and you don't care? (laughs) Isn't that true? Right? Like when you're a teenager and when you're head over heels, right? Think about this, ladies. When you're head over heels in love and he lost his job, it's like, it's all right. I got us. Right? And then you do that for a little bit, right? And then that love wanes a bit, and you're like, oh no, you ain't sitting on my couch. You need to get you a job. I don't care if it's McDonald's or whatever. You need to do something, right? Because when you have those rose-colored glasses, you can overcome almost anything, right? You know, that's true with Christ. It's true with Christ. And it's truer with Christ. You have to cultivate your intimacy with him, though. You have to grow in your intimacy with him. You know, that can only be done with time. You know how you fall in love with Jesus the same way you fall in love with anybody else? You spend time with him. You spend that time, and you're reminded each day 
through his word, through the prompting of his spirit, through other Christians, through the teaching of his word here on Sundays. You're reminded, oh wait, Jesus, he's with me. He's in the waiting room with me. And I love him for that. You grow intimacy with him. Now, not only have you and I gone through waiting room experiences, but you know that this church is in a waiting room experience right now? In 2010, on, July, on Wednesday, July 7th, the day I won't forget, there was a huge fire that happened. Huge fire. It's the reason why we meet down here and not in the 1,300-seat auditorium upstairs. We were doing ministry, serving Christ, doing everything we could, and we were growing in Christ as believers and growing in Christ numerically. And on a hot, hot summer, a fire happened that changed everything. And as a church, we started to meet outside. It was like 98-degree weather. Some of you remember how hot it was. We put the tarps out for shade. It made no difference. We gave uh, water out, like ice-cold water. It made no difference. Listen to me. In 2010, July 7th, began our waiting room experience as a church. As we were in this waiting room and the fire raged, here's what the sanctuary uh, looks like today. What at once was a gloriously beautiful sanctuary where we could meet is now a storage. It's the world's biggest attic. Now listen, you know why this is important? Because every seat that was in there, I was convinced God had a name. God had a name for every one of them. God had a name for the people who would show up, for the people who get saved, for the, for the marriages that would be restored, for the families that would be healed, for the people who would be loved in Christ well, for the singles who would be given the ability to endure their singleness. And the fire happened, and we didn't know what we were going to do. We moved outside. We moved to the park. We moved down the block to, to the school. We get everywhere. It took, listen to me, it took $80,000, about 60 to 90. I can't remember what the number was, but say $80,000 to renovate the downstairs. We don't have anywhere near to renovate the upstairs. Listen. God has us in our waiting room. But do you remember what we said last week? What waiting is? Waiting is not laziness. Waiting is what? Patiently pursuing. And so we don't know if God is ever going to give us a brand new building. But we're ready for it if it happens. So I want, to tell, I want to show you what I think the vision of our future will look like. We're going to have a brand new building. We're going to have uh, a building where, oh, by the way, we're going to have a beautiful garden. You know where the parking garage is, where that lot is right next to the building? That's going to be a gorgeous uh, garden. It's going to... It's going to have chairs and tables so that in the summer, in the fall, in the spring, you'll be able to sit out there, read your Bible. It'll be a quiet place in a city full of noise. 
And it's not going to end there. We're going to have uh, downstairs, we're going to have a, a children's place that's going to be able to accommodate over 300 children. You think that's enough children space? Yeah, all the people in the children's ministry are like, you're kidding, yes, that's awesome. Because right now, we're just, we have these two rooms, and you can hear them sometimes, right? Yeah, they're doing their best, teaching them the Bible and all that. And then and when you go upstairs, we're going to have a, a sanctuary. The sanctuary is going to seat 550 people. That means, that means we, we might go to multiple services, but it'll be a while. And we'll be able to fit everyone. It'll look like that. 550 people. If we do overflowing, we do overflow rooms, it'll be over 1,200 uh, people, adults, with 300 kids. That's 1,500 people in one service. 1,500 people. Now remember, this is not just numbers. These are your cousins. These are your brothers. These are your sisters. These are your friends who you're going to be inviting. This is what you're going to be doing because we're going to see people come to Christ. And if God so desires. Now, um, uh, we're, we're going to have a room. Oh, that's right. I forgot to tell you. We're going to have a floor. It's just going to be a community floor. It's going to be like amazing. All of our 12 steppers in here, people who go to anonymous programs, we're going to have a floor where we have over eight rooms that you meet in. I mean, each room is going to sit over 50 people. Think about that. N-A, A-A, O-A, C-A, Al-Anon, like Aaron, just every anonymous program you can think of. Eight different meetings going on at the same time, all serving the community. But you know what? This is not a church that's just for the people inside these walls, so we're creating these 12-step meetings. But you know what else we're doing? We're also going to have... Uh, a music room so that people, artists, can practice music in this place. We're going to have an art studio, an art studio with windows facing north, so that if you ever wanted to learn how to paint, if you ever wanted to, you know, your, your kids are going to be able to learn. We're even going to have a dance studio. So if you want to do, um, uh, learn a salsa lessons or take up a, a Zuma, whatever that's called, Zoom, Zoom right? <laughs> Something like that. Zumba, Zumba, that's the one, that's the one, yeah. So if you want to take up Zumba, that's what the art studio is going to look like. It's going to have floor-to-ceiling um, light coming in. Now, let me tell you what our building looks like now. Our building looks like now, like this. But when we, deci we decided that if God is going to give us another building, that we're going to change it a bit, and here's two things that we wanted to say, because we wanted our building to preach the gospel. We didn't just want our building to be pretty, we wanted our building to preach the gospel. So, so listen, here's what we wanted. There's two things. One, and you're not going to see the picture, just look at this picture, and we're not going to flip to the other picture until I say so, but listen. One is that we wanted to say to the whole world that it's in Christ that salvation is found. It's in Christ there was this wonderful picture of that in the New Testament. Jesus, after having given up the ghost, there's an earthquake that happens. And there's a veil that's torn in two. The veil is what separated a holy God 
from unholy man. The only time you could have a person walk behind that veil was one time a year by the high priest, and he represented everybody. There was no direct connection with God. What we wanted to say is that, oh, and by the way, when Jesus died, that veil tore in the earthquake as if God was saying, there's nothing separating me and man. Christ has died for you. He's made it so that there's no separation from you. Isn't that cool? Listen, so we wanted, we wanted the building to say, there's no separation. And then secondly, we wanted the building to say that we're all about discipling, growing in Christ, being disciples of Christ. And Christ gives a picture about being, abiding in him, being in him. And he talks about, I am the vine, you are the branches. Remain in me. And so we use those two pictures, the veil tearing and the vines. And we, we took the idea of this original church because we wanted to keep some of the elements of it. And here's what the new building will look like. Now, what I want you to notice is right by the cross, you see the tear and it goes up through the bricks. That light represents God. There's nothing separating this community from knowing Christ. Certainly not as long as we're here. Christ, listen, can we win this community? We can't. But Christ can. Through us. Can we endure our sufferings? No, we can't. But Christ can. Through us. You'll notice that the uh, windows, those aren't like, because we didn't know how to draw a straight line, those are, those represent vines that go up because everybody, and I, what I love is that the same way you get, listen, the same way you come to Christ. You know how you get to Christ? By the foot of the cross, and it's exactly how you get into Recovery House of Worship. At the foot, that's how you enter Recovery House of the Worship. It's the same way you enter the gospel. It's at the foot of the cross. Listen. Now, we're not there. This is going to cost $20 million. Now, if you're here, and you have that kind of money, God brought you here just so I could show you this. And listen, I'm not even kidding. They're laughing, I'm not. You need to write a check. And you need to, sh listen, we've been sharing the gospel in Brooklyn for hundreds of years, this church has. Let's do it for another couple of hundred years or until Christ comes, what do you say? Yes. Now, now, now listen to me. Remember what I said about the waiting room? It's in between what happened, the fire, and the new building. Where are we? In the waiting room. Listen, for some of you, you have hope. But let me tell you something. I love this building. If it happens, it's cool. If it doesn't happen, it's cool. We're going to continue ministering to Christ in, these, in this room. We're going to continue to serve in Christ. That's us corporately. But for some of you, this message isn't theoretical. It's personal. Here's what I need to tell you. I know you came in here thinking, I can't endure this marriage, I can't endure this health crisis, I can't endure, and all I'm saying to you is that the scriptures agree with you. You can't. But Christ can through you. He can do it through you. Listen to me. If he hung on the cross for you, he won't hang you out to dry. He's faithful. If he died for your sin, will he not live with you in your suffering? 
if he went to the end for you, will he not go through the worst with you? Of course he will. This week, as you go through your suffering moments, as you go through your difficult times, as you go through the moments where it's not changing, listen to me. I want you to remind yourself, like Paul, I can't. He can through me. I want you to believe it. 